listening to Fox Sports Radio. Let's get the update on right now who is favored to win the Masters. Justin Rose, you just mentioned him. He's down to plus 350 to win the tournament. Then Jordan Spieth at 10 to 1, John Ram at 11 to 1, Patrick Reed at 11 to 1, and Hideki Matsuyama at 14 to 1. Ooh, Matsuyama. Now, it's always interesting how if there's a guy, and this is something with the odds each round that's fascinating, if there's a guy that's out of nowhere, and then, you know, not even 70 to 1, but more than that, let's say and they're leading round one, they will be like the fourth or fifth favorite. There's still like a lot of pessimism about them. And then if you have a guy who was the leader and maybe he's four shots back, he'll be like the favorite sometimes. So as you look at the pre-tournament odds, McKenzie, and then you look at what we're seeing as we're finishing the first round, what jumps out at you in regards to like Rose – he was being him being seventy to one, and then being a clear favorite now does speak to a lot of respect. Here's a guy that maybe there was questions about his form or whatever, but once he showed he's got it, it feels like him being a former kind of high level or a golfer that's had real success is he's getting a lot more respect than a typical seventy to one. I think uh, coming in with one good round. I think you nailed it. You look at Brian Harmon. He's just one shot below Justin Rose at minus three. He came into the tournament at 90 to one. I know. Let's think about that. This is perfect. So they came into the tournament almost the same odds, and now Rose has one stroke on him. So you would think he would be a little bit better. But Rose's odds are plus 350, and the other fellow? He's second in the tournament right now at minus three, Brian Harmon, and he's 20 to one to win currently. Now, that is a great example, Jonas, where it's not just how well you've done so far. It's there's a name that's kind of got, oh, I remember him kind of reaction. And now you think I could see him winning this thing. But there's another guy, not so much. And Jordan Spieth is going into the tournament. He was one of the favorites, correct? I, 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 yes, um, I think well, certainly top three or four. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. And and so now Jordan Spieth is currently what still third as that's far right. as the odds go, and he's yeah, eight shots right. back already. So he's eight shots back to a guy in Justin Rose who's got a couple of you know top two finishes at the Masters at this golf course. To have him still be that high up in the odds, that far back, um, I, don't, I don't know. That, that's kind of surprising to me. It, it showed. You're right. It, it, it's back to the idea of if you think of two factors. One is, and really, if you think about pre-tournament odds, that is effectively saying how good the golfer is at the Masters. That's what the odds really represent. So it's like, how good were you expected to be coming in? versus how good you've been in the first round. Now, remember, whenever you have a round that's gone by, just like a seven-game NBA Finals or playoff round, is there's two factors that come with the round. One is the mathematical reality of this is one-fourth of the final you know, score, and thus, if you're up or down, it matters. But then number two is what does it tell you about the form? What does it tell you about how good this golfer is? So on one hand, you got a spief, you can say, okay, his form isn't necessarily great. Mathematically, he's behind, but he's so good, there's still faith in him. A guy like Rose, his form looks good. Oh, wow, this round means a lot. He's got the, the name, so that means something, but he's got the math on his side, too. So he's, So it really is how much of it is the math of the reality of the standings and how much does it tell you this first round 
and then the second, the third, about the form. And then as the tournament progresses, imagine the best golfer in the world on the 72nd hole, and he's down two strokes. It doesn't matter. As long as that other guy's a pro that's up, he's going to be favored because now the math is almost everything, and the skill is just the one hole left to play. So as the tournament progresses, it becomes less about the skill of the players and more about the score. Before the tournament, it's all about the skill. And right now, mostly about the skill, but the score still matters, especially if you got an extreme score and you're out of it already. It matters a ton. But a guy like Spieth, even though he's back a good bit, like you said, he's right there in the mix, which I think is telling. So before the shutdown, Steve Fezzik was killing it in the XFL because he couldn't wait to remind everybody that he kept hitting on his XFL picks. Oh, like yes. that was that was that was he a He still a says he's undefeated. Of course, because the league shut down. So yeah, you just you take the record with you. And so the reason I ask that is Fez found something in the XFL that he was able to take advantage of and get really hot at. Are there are there sharps that look at a tournament like the Masters who say, look, people maybe only watch the big tournaments. They're just betting because they want to bet and it's a big tournament. I can take advantage of this because I got a lot of people who maybe aren't following it as closely as I am throughout the entire golf season. Okay, so unequivocally, the Masters is the biggest bet tournament of the year. And it's not really close. Even the other majors are not nearly bet as much. The more betting you have, that comes from new bettors, bettors who typically don't bet that sport. So, for example, the Super Bowl has a bunch more betting. Some of it is people are betting more than they typically would, but some of it is more people are betting. And when you have people that only bet a handful or a minority of the events, they're not going to be as sharp, just by definition. Right? It's a guy that plays tennis once a month versus a guy that plays every day. It's a different level of intensity of expertise. So I think in general, the more public an event is the, and the more square it is, the more that you can take advantage of the biases of the public. So Rory McIlroy would be a good example of that. A guy that's got three of the four, and I'm no golf expert, but three of the four majors, not the Masters. He struggled with the Masters uh, historically and, quite frankly, hasn't been up to his usual snuff. But there were times he was in matchups. So a matchup isn't to win the tournament, but it's head-to-head. And Mackenzie, do you have the um, score? Fez had, and I gave a cosign to a head-to-head where we faded McElroy. Do you remember who the opponent was in that? Yeah, it was the favorite Dustin Johnson. Okay, now that was interesting because Dustin Johnson, who was the favorite coming into the tournament, he was in a situation where he was only like minus 130 heads up over Rory, even though Rory isn't in great form and Masters hasn't been his thing. How's Dustin Johnson doing? He's plus two after today's round. Rory McIlroy, plus four. So, we're winning that one. Ooh, I like that. So, yes, absolutely. And I think if this was a tournament, Jonas, to be very specific, if this was a tournament in which... Uh, it wasn't so public. It was more of the sharp batters. Then Rory wouldn't have been as much uh, as fa- not that he was the favorite, but he was amongst the favorites because of his name. So in general, the things that we consider bias or not really about merit are the things the public tends to get involved in. Right out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
Jonas, real quick, let's take a gander at the Nets and, and Durant's return last night. Yeah, Kevin Durant returned last night for the Brooklyn Nets. There was no James Harden, him out dealing with an, uh, his injury issue, but it was the Brooklyn Nets all over the New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans, 139-111. to 111. Kevin Durant off the bench, a big game for the Brooklyn Nets in his return. 17 points. He was perfect from the floor, 5 of 5, also another 5 of 5 from the free throw line. And he had a block. Because yes. Fez had his prop bet on over a half a block. <laughs> and, and and during it, I said, you know, the show, I said, Fez, I go, I like it. But I'm worried because he had gone 11 straight games with a block that he played. And I thought, but I'm worried about how many minutes he's going to play. Fez says, don't worry about it. We're fine. And then it's like he played like six minutes in the first half, but he still had a block. So it was like, <laughs> man, uh, that's, a, that's a good bet. That's a good bet. Um, here's what I'll say. There's a concept by the guy that wrote The Black Swan called um, How Fragile, or it's called Anti-Fragile. So we all know what fragile is, right? It's easy to break. It's, it's sensitive. Anti-fragile is it's not sensitive. It's tough. It's durable. This Nets team is maybe the most durable elite NBA team I've ever seen. I mean, think about it. We're doing a little project we're going to have for next week. If you took the second best player of every team off the team, so LeBron or AD pick, it doesn't matter. Take off, you know, Joker or, you know, like think of going through the different teams. And we're going to actually take Durant off of Brooklyn, even though the case could be made Durant's the best player, right? But if anything, this hurts us even more, right? Take Harden off, take Durant off. You have your pick. Then how good are those teams? I believe personally the Nets are like four points better. Like they are so far ahead. Yeah. Now, I know this is just an exercise. It doesn't matter necessarily if everyone's healthy. But it goes to show you the idea that you could – I mean, it's very possible the Nets without Durant are the best team in the NBA. How could you take off perhaps the best – you know, certainly one of the five best players of the, in the NBA off a team and it still be the, maybe the best team? I've never seen that before. Have you? No. I, I, and I'm trying to think back when we got an example of that. I don't um, think we have. Yeah, the the closest, I guess you could say, when LeBron lost Kyrie in the finals. Um, but again, they how'd they do? Yeah, they lost. <laughs> and they were up two. I think he. I think he got that game three. I think it might have been like an overtime game. But after that, you know, Golden State ran away with it. We saw what happened to Golden State when they lost Durant uh, in the finals, and then ended up losing uh, Clay Thompson. Now, now that's interesting. I think that would be an example because they had that run where he got hurt. I think in the Houston series. Yeah. And then they went and beat Portland, if I remember. And then they went into the finals, and then he came back, had the good first quarter. Yeah. So to me that proves the point that even if it's one of the all-time teams and a lot of people will say that Warriors team was the best team once they had Durant the odds say they were the best team ever uh, just based on how big of a favorite they were relative to the other teams but that was a situation that as time went on Durant or I'm sorry Curry got beat up and in a three or five game stretch they could do great but they weren't going to do a season like that do you get any sense that Harden you know, and again, if you have another injury, yeah, it's going to be a problem. But he's a durable dude. So if you really think about it, I think the Nets could go the whole season without Durant and still maybe have the best record or be right there. And I and I think that Warriors team could have done it in short spurts, I yeah. think. And, and I also like the idea that 
the fact they're able to do this without a, a Duran on the floor or without a James Harden, I think they've they've been through this before. Each of those guys has been on these quote-unquote super teams where they've had to step up and be the guy. Remember, look, James Harden had to do that because Chris Paul wasn't dependable a lot of the times health-wise when they were teamed up together in Houston. And one of the big knocks on James Harden going into the playoffs, and we've talked about this before, is that he wears down because he plays so much during the, the regular season because he, he plays so, so many hard minutes during the regular season. Postseason comes around, and he doesn't have the gap tank to be able to continue on well he doesn't have to worry about this so I think you're going to get the freshest James Harden for the postseason that you've ever gotten in his career and if they're this good with just two of the three members imagine what they're going to look like with all three and and presumably healthy for the postseason it's why I think they're the odds on favorite I agree and we have them four to one Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Hey, I'm John Middlecoff, and I host the Three and Out podcast. Do you like football? Do you like the NFL? Do you like the NFL draft? Quarterbacks, coaches? Well, I talk about it all on the show. I used to work for Andy Reid as a scout. Now I give you my unfiltered and raw opinions on everything that goes on in the NFL. And you know we're talking college football because of how important the draft is year-round. Listen to the 3 and Out podcast with me, John Middlecoff, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. RJ, we've been talking about the Brooklyn Nets, the favorites to win the NBA championship. They are the top seed in the Eastern Conference and what a playoff run could look like with a healthy James Harden. And you make a great point. Historically, Houston and Harden seem to slow down or not be as efficient in the playoffs. I'm not sure that's true. I, I know that series against the Clippers, they lost. They were up 3-1. Uh, you know, that was a that was a bad one, no doubt about it. Um, and, and they had some bad ones. But don't forget, in two series, right in the middle of Golden State being the best team maybe ever, Houston, at a given point in those series, fairly late, was favored to win them. And the idea that if you beat the best team of all time in a playoff series, that could have been like maybe the fifth best team of the last decade. Like I really think it's reasonable. The best of those Houston teams were maybe the fifth best team of the last 10 years, even though they didn't even make the finals. Because yeah. when you play the best team maybe ever and you almost beat them, you got to give them credit for that. But in general, is it fatigue late in the year in the playoffs? Maybe because Harden does have a huge or typically a high usage rate. But I think it's more about the nuance of game adjustments. If you have an offense that's easy to run, like uh, analogy being Mariana Rivera, you didn't have to call many one, two, you know, like the catcher didn't have to do a lot of signals. Cutter, 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 cutter. <laughs> and, you know, and you know what is if you don't see that cutter very often, I mean, the repetition is a huge advantage to Rivera back in the day. But the, you didn't ever have a chance to really get familiar with it because you didn't play him enough. But if you actually look, the Red Sox hit Rivera better than anyone. Why? Because they faced him a bunch. They thought about him a bunch. And though they didn't hit him great, they hit him better. In a seven-game playoff series, Harden and the way that simple offense that Houston ran, the isolation and the kickout, 
it was something they could say, oh, when he dribbles twice and he crosses over, he does this, or we're going to do this. And it got to be like almost a Super Bowl-type preparation, but not just one game, but game two, game three. game. And isn't it a coincidence, if you look at those Houston series, they usually did better early and worse later in the series. It felt like, oh, maybe it was fatigue, or maybe it was adjustments. And the beauty, though, is with the Nets, since it's so much more about distribution, it's so much less about isolation, I don't think with the variety of the other players, and you've got Aldridge, who put up 20 last night. Imagine having a guy you get off the scrap heap, and it's like, oh, Harden's out, maybe put up 20. And Blake Griffin has been you know, really strong in certain two-man uh, lineups where he, him and one other guy, Irving, has been outstanding. And I think that the Nets are so much better now than they were even at the beginning with Harden because of the players around them. So I would make the case that in all ways, Harden's chance to win a title is better here than in Houston. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. 